1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon, and today we're going to look at the split from Al-Qaeda on the part of Jabhat al-Nusra and what we like to call its rebranding. And this topic I find interesting, and I'm giving it sort of a cheesy name, but I like calling the show, What's in a Name? (laughs) So today we have David Gardenstein Ross back on the show. He's been a long time guest on the show, and first of all, welcome back, David.
0: Thanks, Chelsea. It's always uh, great to join the Loopcast, which I think is um, you know one of the absolute most valuable national security podcasts that anyone can find.
1: Oh, you're too kind, and we love having you as a guest. So I know this is going to be a fantastic show. David is very um, strong and great on this topic. He's been watching Al Qaeda for years, so he's the perfect expert for the show. And for our listeners who might not know of David, he is a counterterrorism scholar and analyst, and he is a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. And in 2014, he became the CEO of Valens Global, which is a private company that consults on counterterrorism, Al-Qaeda, ISIS-ISL, whatever you want to call that group, other insurgent groups and violent non-state actors. And he's also the author of a number of books, including Bin Laden's Legacy, Why We're Still Losing the War on Terror. So, David, we've recently had this change of name on the part of Jabhat al-Nusra, aka JN, to make a shorter acronym. And they've now changed their name to Jabhat Fatah al sham which is also acronym JFS, and broke their ties with Al-Qaeda. So to start off with, what is going on?
0: So to start off with what is going on, uh, let's add the word allegedly. They allegedly broke their ties with al-Qaeda. You know, if um, one were to ask, you know, despite the breaking of ties, uh, are they still a part of the al-Qaeda organization? Despite the express breaking of ties, my answer would be um, with great certainty, yes, they are. Um, and I, I want to get into why I think that's the case. But if you look at the statements that are being made uh, coming out of Nusra slash JFS, these aren't statements that, you know, go much of a way to actually breaking ties with al-Qaeda at all. Uh, what uh, um, Abu Muhammad Ojalani, the head of, of uh, JFS, had said, uh, and what Mustafa Mohammed, another one of the group's leaders who spoke to CNN, said is, is basically – the same turn of phrase. Both of them said um, that they um, don't receive directives from an external en- entity. Now, what does that mean, that they don't receive uh, directives from an external entity? My view is that previously, uh, they would find it fair to consider al Qaeda's senior leadership to be an external entity, uh, given that Zawahiri was based in South Asia um, and you didn't have a strong contingent of al-Qaeda senior leaders in Syria. Today, though, you do. I mean, that, that's well known that uh, the Khorasan group uh, is uh, present in Syria, which is um, a, a group of al-Qaeda senior leaders who uh, migrated from the Khorasan region, from you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, over to Syria. And so there, there's no reason uh, that uh, when they say they don't receive directives from an external entity— that the AQSL members in Syria are not considered to be a part of an external entity. You have to read their language very carefully. Second thing is that uh, it's known that Jalani, the group's emir, had bayat to Ayman al-Zawahiri, who's the emir of Al Qaeda. He hasn't said anything about his bayat to Zawahiri. He hasn't said that he's breaking or renouncing the bayat. Um, and furthermore, if you look at the press conference itself, um, so, uh, when Jolani announced the alleged break, he was surrounded by uh, long-time Al Qaeda cohorts. Uh, if you look into to the individuals who were there, you know they too have long standing relationships to Al Qaeda. The fourth thing, the, the next thing, is that the reaction from Al Qaeda clerics has been very, very positive. Like, no, no, Al Qaeda clerics are arguing that this was uh, a bad thing. In fact. Um, they've uh, argued about what the strategic advantages are. Um, so you, you've had uh, statements issued since then, um, all, all of them you know, very similar, from Abu Qatada and Abu Muhammad al makhdisi both, both of whom are, are based in Jordan, uh, who have favored this, the uh, so-called split from al-Qaeda, and also from Abdullah al-Muhassini, who's also a high-level al-Qaeda cleric. Muhesini has said that uh, other Syrian militant factions... Uh, should understand that Jelani's move gave priority to the interests of the nation over the interests of the faction. And that he he further said that all the Syrian militant factions should now align with Nusra since the obstacle that they used as an excuse, that is the affiliation with Al-Qaeda, has been removed. One final thing I want to point out here uh, that finishes the tableau as to why I do not see this as being an actual split is that, um, you know, originally this was the plan. For Nusra to have Nusra be um, a, an organization that was at, was a part of Al Qaeda's orbit, but that did not publicly announce it. Um, you know, it, if you look at when uh, uh, when uh, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi and ISIS moved into Syria and claimed jurisdiction over Nusra, which was one of the origins of the friction between the two groups, at that time Nusra was not an announced part of Al Qaeda. You know, Jalani's hand was forced in terms of admitting that Nusra was a part of Al Qaeda. But originally, the plan was to have it to be an unacknowledged part of Al Qaeda, similar to how Ansar Sharia, Tunisia, Ansar Sharia in Libya, have been parts of Al Qaeda, definitive parts, but haven't been uh, haven't been clear about their association with it. And that is a model that's used elsewhere um, in Libya, for example, the Derna Mujahideen Shura Council very clearly. Um, has a relationship with Al-Qaeda that they're not really publicly discussing. This group in the in the post-Arab Spring world has, for a variety of reasons, including strategic reasons that we can see at play in, in Syria, has been making use of front groups and been making use of affiliates that don't quite come out and say that they're affiliates.
1: And with what you just mentioned about this split potentially being, or what we can call a potential split, we don't even know really, um, it being something that was always planned. And then we've heard other people arguing that there's been elements in JN for a while, since about 2013, looking for a split. Do you think this is a combination of the two?
0: It's hard to say. Um, I mean, there's multiple elements, right? And there may be, I'm sure that there are some more nationalist elements um, who... uh, who want a split um, then I think there are some elements who say that they want a split but they want a fake split right but given that there is a I think that there is very clearly a PR move and a rebranding at play and so um, both sets of factions can, can coexist and I don't think that um, I, I don't think that anyone could say uh, I think it would be difficult um, to say definitively that uh, factions that wanted it, that genuinely wanted to split, um, you know, that didn't want it to be a fake split, uh, are, are represent the majority, and they certainly don't represent the leadership. Um, so yes, um, both can be both can be a factor, uh, but I, I'm not convinced that there's a huge groundswell for a genuine split from Al Qaeda. There certainly has been no evidence, and um, given some of the opacity that's at play, uh, what I would focus on is the signaling at at top levels, at least as representative of how the leadership in the organization sees it. Now, there's an argument there, okay? Uh, I think that there is an argument to be made that even if this is intended as a fake split, that it can um, actually cause um, Nusra to break from what people describe as al-Qaeda's global agenda. I think that's that um, that phrasing itself is a little bit loaded. I think al-Qaeda does not have a purely global agenda. Uh, I think that um, they do have a, a near-enemy strategy in addition to a far-enemy strategy, and, and I think that in recent years, the near-enemy strategy has eclipsed the far-enemy strategy. So I think there is some misconception of al-Qaeda that has, um, and, and their goals, that has been at play. But that being said, you know, it does open up possibilities to take what may be intended as a fake split and actually make it much more of a genuine split. But in order for us to take advantage, what we need to do is understand what game they're playing and what they actually intend. One of the big problems with CT analysis has been uh, people reading in, misreading organizations and um, mixing up um, their aspirations for where they would like the organizations to be with where they actually are. I think for us to take advantage of this split... We need to have a cold look at what it's actually intended to do and then from there discuss what vulnerabilities are created. But those vulnerabilities of making it more local or making it a genuine split from al-Qaeda, I don't think, are going to play themselves out on their own.
1: You mentioned earlier that this potentially could be a big PR, public relations ploy or stunt. How realistic is that?
0: very realistic Uh, because it's not it's not aimed at the west if you look at at u.s officials and western officials yeah they're not fooled okay they're not going to fool the united states but the fact is there's multiple things that they can gain Um, if you look at what's happened in recent days since the jfs um, alleged split from al-qaeda it has broken the siege of aleppo uh, at least according to its own propaganda. I think that, um, you know, it's early days, so uh, I wouldn't at all uh, say that this will uh, this will continue. But they were able to claim that they'd broken the siege of Aleppo, which had been um, really front and center in uh, the Arab media for some time. Uh, the U.S. has not been aggressively pushing back on the idea that uh, Nusra uh, slash JFS had split from al-Qaeda, because the U.S. hasn't been aggressively pushing it uh, I think they're, they're going to be able to uh, claim this rebrand. So other things that are at play is it makes it easier for other rebel factions to work with JFS slash Nusra uh, because they allegedly are no longer a part of al-Qaeda. Uh, so the stigma that attaches to al-Qaeda you know, is diminishing with respect to JFS slash Nusra. Uh, one further consideration is for a while, Nusra, even when it was officially a part of al-Qaeda, uh, received state support from Turkey, from Qatar, from Saudi Arabia, and it also, you know, very clearly, undeniably, with a hundred percent certainty, um, had U.S.-backed rebels help it to make advances using weapons that the U.S. had given given to it. Um, now, that's not, you know, conspiracy theory. That's horrible U.S. strategy. But at the end of the day, um, if uh, jfs Nusra isn't, you know, redesignated a terrorist organization by the U.S., by the United Nations, by the European Union, and the like, Uh, if the stigma slips from working with it, they're going to have more people working with them, they're going to have more state support, and quite possibly more in the way of private support. That's what the rebranding is. It's not fooling Americans. It's putting themselves in a position where they can operate more openly in the region. And even while they were officially a part of al-Qaeda... They'd actually been able to operate pretty openly and get state support. This opens them up to more.
1: What sort of impact have the U.S. and Russian airstrikes potentially had on this choice to, I'm going to put in air quotes, break from AQ?
0: Oh, there, there's no question about that. Uh, you have multiple commentators have fingered, and, and correctly, uh, that uh, the U.S. had been talking to Russia about Uh, cooperating on the targeting of Nusra uh, prior to uh, this announced split. And one of the purposes of announcing the split was to make it harder uh, for the U.S. to aid Russia strikes against Nusra slash
1: JFS. So, this is a good thing for JFS or JN, whatever we're going to call them nowadays. Uh, I guess JFS. So, also, we recently had a CNN interview with Mustafa Muhammad, who, as you mentioned, is one of JFS's leaders, and he's also someone that's designated a global terrorist by the U.S. government in May 2016. And so CNN gave Muhammad the opportunity to discuss via a taped interview about this split. I thought this is a very interesting development, and I wanted to know your thoughts on it, because is it now... All right for mainstream media to provide an outlet for terror groups or individuals of terror groups?
0: I think there was never there was never a time when the mainstream media couldn't do that. Um, if you look at why uh, Peter Bergen uh, became famous, uh, you know, he had gone and interviewed Osama bin Laden prior to the 9/11 attacks. Like, that's why he was launched into such prominence he'd just come out with the book Holy War Inc at the time of the 9/11 attacks and, and that was fine. You know, nobody had a problem with that. Nobody felt that Bergen had acted unethically by interviewing Bin Laden. So uh, I don't have a problem with CNN doing that now. Um, I do think that it's important to contextualize um, that uh, these guys may not be what they say that they are and likely are not what they say that they are. Um, I, I think that it's important to contextualize uh, the questions around whether this is a genuine split. But I think it's fine to interview them, um, and moreover, um, they're certainly being interviewed in the Arab world, which is their core target audience. Uh, so I, I don't think that there's a reason um, you know CNN couldn't do that. It's not material support. Uh, just as um, you know, a, a whole variety of unsavory characters, from you know murder suspects to dictators, are interviewed by the mainstream media. It's not to propagandize for them. Rather, it's to report on, you know, what major and uh, consequential figures are saying. And, you know, JN slash JFS is indeed major and consequential.
1: And as you mentioned, at least when I viewed the interview, it it seemed like a great propaganda piece. Mohammed really made JFS sound sweet and innocent and we're here to help Syria. And, you know, the, the typical propaganda of... That conflict. And in the interview, he also mentioned being completely independent from AQ. And I know you've touched on this and the reality of this statement, but why don't we look at that a little bit deeper?
0: Yeah. I mean, his statement was that um, with the formation of JFS, we are completely independent. That means we don't report to anyone, we don't receive our directives from any external entity. Um, And I would you put a lot of weight on the very end of that phrase. Look, for, for one thing, it's not as though these groups don't lie, right? Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, I, I wouldn't take it at face value that just because a spokesman says that they have, uh, that they are, are now completely independent, that means that they are completely independent. Um, and you know, the, the use of the phrase, we don't receive directives from any external entity, which is similar to what Jelani had said, is I think a fairly significant um, look at, at the end of the day. If you look at what what, uh, for example, Ansar al Sharia Tunisia, which is very clearly very clearly was an Al Qaeda front group, had said. Um, you know they talked about how they admired Al Qaeda and um, had the same methodology, uh, but they uh, flat out denied that they were a part of Al Qaeda. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, th- there's this phrase which I think is doing a lot of work—the external entity phrase. Um, there's, you know, this has more of a suggestion than uh, I would say Jelani's original statement of actually splitting from Al Qaeda. But I don't believe it, right? You don't see um, you don't see Al Qaeda members being distressed at one of the most powerful branches of the organization leaving, right? Like instead, everyone's uh, all, all the Al Qaeda leaders are praising this. You know, when you look at at old Al Qaeda hands who are um, who'd gone to Nusra, you know they're still um, you know they're still there. They're not leaving uh, the Nusra JFS territory. So uh, you know it's it's c- certainly it's, it is what they are saying uh, with I think some phrasing which is uh, you know very deliberate in nature. Um, but I, I don't see uh, evidence that this is genuine, and um, in fact, I, I think the evidence, um, you know, significantly points to the contrary. It points to uh, their reversion uh, to, um, to to what their original plan was before the the uh, ISIS challenge rolled in. And I think it, it's worth also noting uh, that um, you know this. Given that this was their original plan, uh, this was Nusser's original plan. It seems like one of the things that's at play is they just they, they assess ISIS to be uh, a diminishing challenge. Uh, initially, um, I think that they might have broken last year, uh, but the reason why they didn't break "quote unquote" break from Al Qaeda is because of the fact that um, that. Uh, That would have been perceived throughout the jihadist world as al-Qaeda falling apart. And it might have actually threatened other al-Qaeda affiliates with leaving uh, at a time when uh, uh, ISIS was making a full court press to try to win over al-Qaeda's affiliates. Um, And now, you know, ISIS, even though it's able to launch a large number of terrorist attacks abroad, um, I think that that, uh, ISIS is in decline. It's not as Um, compelling. It's not as powerful. It doesn't have the same kind of pull that it did before. And um, I think that is one of the reasons uh, that they they feel fine about uh, announcing this split now.
1: And something you touched on, the idea that there are still a lot of AQ individuals, operatives, in the region where JN, now JFS, is... It really, sense it for me, it, it causes the sense of you still have these individuals there, so realistically looking at that, how strong could a potential break between AQ be if you still have individuals that potentially have either emotional or logistical connection to AQ? And I would love you to discuss that a bit because you have individuals that are long-time AQ members and then all of a sudden we have this so-called split it just for me brings up red flags
0: yeah um uh, no, that, that that's um a- absolutely uh correct um so the movement into like within the region you have uh, a, a lot a strong aq presence in in a number of different ways um one which i mentioned before is the horizon group which um it is a, uh, a group uh, that is comprised of al-Qaeda senior leaders, uh, which has been based around Syria and Turkey. And uh, recently, The Washington Post made very clear that uh, the Khorasan group and other al-Qaeda senior leaders have been given uh, significant ability to operate uh, into Turkey. Uh, so people who've been part of the Khorasan group include, for example, Sanafi al nasser and David, David Drujon, both of whom are now deceased. Uh, but also Muhammad Islam Bully has been publicly named as another major Horasan group figure. Um, the group itself has not been destroyed. It's been bombed a few times. Um, it certainly hasn't been destroyed. Um, you have um, Al-Qaeda clerics operating much more openly. Uh, I mentioned a couple of them earlier, um, Abu Qatada and Abu Mohammed al-Makdisi, both of whom have been released from prison in Jordan. Uh, they've been able to, in part, play... Off of the Jordanian concerns about ISIS, um, almost certainly one of the reasons they're able to be back on the street and operating openly is because they're anti ISIS, and Jordan views them as potentially um, a strong bulwark against ISIS growth within Jordan. Um, you have uh, you've had uh, well publicized uh, major Al Qaeda uh, loyalists who. Uh, were within another group that Nusra has fought, uh, slash JFS has fought in coalition with, uh, that that being Ahwara uh, Sham. Um, um, not marginal figures, figures who um, have been uh, very uh, key to these organizations, who played a strong role uh, within uh, these organizations, and ultimately, um, you know, all the Al Qaeda figures, no Al Qaeda figures, condemning this split. None of them is alarmed by it. Um, they all seem to. Uh, They all seem to think that it's a very good idea, and all of them emphasize the same thing, which is that this now removes the excuse of any militant faction in Syria that didn't want to work with Nusra because of the al-Qaeda brand. Now, let me be very clear. This was al-Qaeda's strategy for the Arab Spring. Uh, Bin Laden, quite famously, wrote a letter um, from Abbottabad talking about how al-Qaeda should operate under different brands. He considered changing al-Qaeda's name. And, once the, and their strategy uh, after um, Al Qaeda in Iraq's loss in the 2007 to 2009 period, Al Qaeda in Iraq of course being ISIS's predecessor, their strategy was mo- to move towards uh, more of a population centric approach and a, an approach that favored localization where Al Qaeda branches were seen as much more of a part of the local aspirations, a, a, of the organic aspirations uh, that people had locally. And, and so, you know, this is very much in line with that brand that they have been trying to take on. Um, and uh, it's something that both is meant to appeal to to locals, to reach to militant groups that are active on a local level uh, and also to make it easier for donors and other external supporters to support them, because now they're claiming to be more of a local militant group um, and uh, claiming to um, uh, downplay some of those global aspirations that Al-Qaeda was so known for.
1: So could we potentially call this a grand Al-Qaeda initiative, this idea of the split with JNJFS?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you'll find um, plenty of people who who disagree, uh, to be very clear, and you mentioned before that there are differences in analytic conclusions. So um, one thing that that I, I always emphasize is it's important for all of us to check back and see who's getting these things right. Mm-hmm. Um, my answer is yes. That that is uh, that is what it is. Um, as I said, people, you know, there is disagreement among experts. You can uh, there are plenty of people who you could interview who would give you the opposite answer. Um, but I, I think that that what we can look for is um, you know, number one, uh, what is its relationship. With uh, other Al Qaeda branches and Al Qaeda fighters, after uh, you know, after this supposed split occurs. Uh, number two, is it acting like other Al Qaeda or unacknowledged Al Qaeda branches? Number three, at some point, you know, uh, communic- communications between Nusra and other parts of Al Qaeda will uh, be intercepted. Do these communications suggest that, in fact, it is a part of Al Qaeda? Uh, number four. Uh, there's a the question of um, the Bayat that Jolande uh, has to Zawahiri. Uh, does he maintain that relationship of Bayat uh, post the alleged split? Those are a few questions. Those are a few of the things that we're, that one can look to to determine who is right. So, look, there's a split opinion, and uh, people who are really interested in this should, should hear what analysts have to say on the other side. But for my money, um, I, I'm putting the um, probability of this, my confidence level, very high. Uh, I'd put it at, uh, you know, 95% confidence that this this is, in fact, an al-Qaeda initiative, that, in fact, it, it is something um, which is, you know, approved of and is part of a plan at top levels as opposed to an organic push from factions who, who legitimately wanted to break from al-Qaeda.
1: Going back to the CNN interview with Mohammed, um, he points out that as the Nusra Front, the group only was really focusing on Syria in the recent scheme of things, and that now as JFS, they're going to do the same. So they basically have no intentions of shifting their policies to the West. A, what are your thoughts on this? And B, to me, this sounds like very much saying, you know, we are here to, without saying it, should I say, we are here to save the Syrians from other groups like ISIS, that's much more potentially extreme than us, JFS. We're here to free the Syrian people of ISIS and Assad and yada, yada, yada. So let's hear your thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the message that they're sending, that they're there to free the Syrian people from Assad and ISIS um, with the emphasis being on Assad. Um, You know, he's correct that Nusra's focus, uh, when it was a part of Al-Qaeda, was local. Although uh, you know you do have um, the Khorasan group, which um, <laughs> uh, you know, as has been reported, um, had uh, ambitions or, or plans to strike externally, and it, it housed the Khorasan group. Um, but this is where um, we often—it's it, uh, surprising to me that sometimes there are uh, mistaken views uh, amongst analysts as to as to what uh, Al Qaeda's strategy is. Um, sometimes it's said that you know, what al-Qaeda's strategy is is to strike the West or to uh, attack the far enemy. And you know that has, in recent years, very clearly changed. I haven't seen a good study that actually outlines what its far enemy strategy is. Uh, that's something which I'm, I'm hoping to do myself. But they, they don't have a pure far enemy strategy at this point. Um, the reason why, in the 1990s, um, al-Qaeda-affiliated jihadists decided that striking the far enemy, that is the United States and the West, should be their priority, is because of the view that if they were able to topple the near enemy, that is so-called apostate regimes within the region, uh, that outside actors uh, like the U.S. or France would step in and uh, save those local regimes. Uh, Something they pointed to as an example was the Algerian Civil War, where the Algerian government received support from France uh, in order to make sure that Islamic militants wouldn't topple the Algerian regime. Ah, uh, post-Arab Spring, it's actually very clear that um, the far enemy is, is nowhere near as capable of preserving local regimes as it once was. Uh, you know, the topic topic of Ben Ali and Mubarak, of course, those were not done by uh, jihadists; they were brought down by protests. And um, you know, subsequently, subsequently in Egypt, uh, subsequently in both states, you had you know Islamist parties come to power, and then. Uh, More secular-leaning parties replaced them. In Egypt, that happened via a a coup. In Tunisia, that happened through the electoral system. But then you have Libya, where in in Libya, uh, after the U.S. intervened uh, to very foolishly uh, remove Muammar Gaddafi, uh, you haven't had the state put back together, and jihadists have a tremendous amount of operating space, controlling a great deal of territory on the ground. Um, In Syria, of course... Uh, jihadists are a big part of the landscape, and the you know the outside powers are able to do very little about that. Uh, there are other places where you have where where outside powers aren't able to dislodge the jihadist presence. Uh, you do have um, you know um, heavy insurgencies in both Somalia and Mali, where uh, Al Qaeda is at the forefront of them, and most likely in Somalia they'll end up as AMISOM, the African Union mission there draws down, they'll end up controlling territory. In Yemen, the Yemeni state has collapsed. Outside actors aren't able to keep it together, and al-Qaeda is able to control a great deal of ground, uh, including uh, they withdrew from the fifth largest city of Yemen, uh, from the port city of Mukalla, but they control all of the surrounding territory, and they still control a large strip along the coast. So the strategic outlook that uh, prompted them to adopt this far-enemy strategy in the 1990s just no longer applies to today's world. So for Mustafa Mohammed's statement, um, I don't think it's inaccurate. It's not fully accurate, because I do think that that ultimately um, a group like Nostra slash JFS controlling territory does pose an external threat. I actually don't think there's a question about that. But in the the near term, they are near enemy focused. They're not focused on striking the West. But that is entirely in line with what al Qaeda's strategy has become. If you look from theater to theater... In terms of where there's a strong Al Qaeda presence, um, it's been more focused on uh, the battle at hand and less focused on external operations. That's the case with uh, Al Qaeda fr- the Al Qaeda franchise in Yemen, even though there have been some terrorist plots aimed at Western targets coming out of Yemen. That was the case for Nusra. Um, it's the case uh, for the various Al Qaeda groups in Libya. It's the case for um, the uh, Al Qaeda. Uh, franchise um, in Tunisia, which is Qatibat Ukba ibn Nafi. It's the case in Mali, um, it, though um, you know, al-Qaeda the Islamic Maghreb has also carried out a number of attacks on western targets in West African hotels. So it's generally near-enemy focused with uh, some strikes at the far enemy. But if you look at their military operations, much more of the military operations from one al-Qaeda branch to the next have been focused not on the far enemy, but on the near enemy.
1: So you've touched on this in the talk already slightly, but if this split, if it's really a split between JN and AQ is for real, what will JFS gain from this split?
0: Well, if it is a real split, um, what JFS gains is uh, if they are focused not on uh, on striking at the west, but instead focused on, on the near enemy, and they really don't have any external ambitions then it allows them to operate at a regional level while diminishing the extent to which they'd be targeted by uh, Western uh, CT or counterinsurgent forces, uh, and also removes the stigma uh, of working with Al Qaeda. Um, what it costs them uh, is um, lack of access uh, to the Al Qaeda networks, uh, resources and support. Um, but, you know, u- ultimately, um, this is a question of, of what their priorities are, whether it's really merely regional or whether they have more global ambitions. And let's be very clear, you know, a group can function regionally while still having broader ambitions and thus function as a part of a network. Um, in other words, um, you know, if you look at what Nusra had done previously, um, it, it felt, fell in line with it, kind of the Think globally, act locally mantra uh, that uh, as applied to jihadists, and that you know it embedded the Khorasan group within it. Um, it uh, had um, you know so, some uh, it, it had operatives moving through Nusra, uh, you know senior Al Qaeda operatives who would move through and embed with Nusra. Um, you know all, all of these are things that that organization uh, did, which are consistent with preparing for something that is not just limited to Syria. Uh, but rather which extends beyond the borders of Syria.
1: And on that point, do we even know what JFS's future goals might be?
0: Well, it depends on whether I'm right or wrong, right? Like, if I'm correct about it, it's actually not that difficult to understand uh, their future goals. If I'm correct, it's, you know, embed themselves further with uh, rebel populations in Syria, Um, It's, uh, you know, host uh, al-Qaeda senior leadership, work in conjunction with them while publicly downplaying its connection to al-Qaeda. It's put itself in a position where it can control territory, um, basically, you know, either a proto-emirate or perhaps a declared emirate, um, and um, serve as an arm of al-Qaeda's global strategy, if I'm correct. If I'm incorrect, then it's something, you know, more regional, uh, more local, um, and then there'd be more of a question mark over what it's going to be doing strategically.
1: If this is in fact a split, will JFS meet its objectives by doing this?
0: If, if it if it is a split, your question is will they meet their objectives by splitting? Correct. Um, if it is... Uh, a split um, then yeah I think that uh, um, I I think that it it probably will help them meet their objectives as I've made clear I don't think it's a genuine split Um, and I think that actually uh, even if it's not a split it helps them uh, to achieve their objectives uh, by helping to advance this rebranding posture that had started uh, long ago under Al-Qaeda initiated by Al-Qaeda senior leadership
1: so David, you've been on the show a number of times and you know that when we have time permitting, we'd like to give our guests a moment of thought. So if there's something we might not have touched on in the show or something that you'd really like to add, I'd like to hand the floor over to you.
0: Hmm. Um, I would I think this is another interesting area because we've gotten into um, uh, an area areas in the past when I've been on the loopcast. Um, where there have been, you know, uh, splits in expert opinion, uh, sometimes very heated ones, um, and this is an area where, as I made clear, you know, without disparaging anyone, where there is very clearly a split in expert opinion. So I, I would um, point back to the last show which I did, uh, which I thought was was um, uh, very good. That was with me and Tom Nichols, where we were having a follow up on the discussion we'd had on expertise, and uh, we talked at some length about uh, Philip Tetlock's new book and how uh, Tetlock argues correctly that we need more of a metric in terms of keeping track um, in the world of of punditry. And I applied that to the analysis of violent non-state actors. I've been very clear over the past few years, so I'm I'm not saying anything that will surprise anyone who's familiar with my work, that I think the field has done a poor job of understanding and predicting uh, jihadist organizations. I think that, that to me, uh, as I said on my show, the show with Tom, I think that uh, good uh, descriptive understanding of these groups will be reflected in predictive analysis. So I think here, as we have had multiple times before, we have a clear split in opinion about what this development means. And um, I, I would encourage people who want to know, to improve the state of the field, to pay attention to these splits, and let's track them, and let's see who gets things right, not really so that we can enforce one set of personalities over another, but so that we can become better as a field and understanding where our analysis goes wrong and why. The final thing I'll say in that regard is that um, if I am correct that this is not a genuine split, there's a real cost to not understanding that. And, and I think that that is, is actually the world that we are absolutely going to be in, where the U.S. doesn't act to counter um, this PR move, and it gives JFS slash a greater ability to operate in the region when they already have a lot of ability to operate. And so having the wrong conception of what uh, our sets of enemies are up to um, can have a significant impact in retarding our ability to execute strategy and to shift strategically even when the enemy is doing so.
1: Well, this has been a really fascinating and insightful talk, and once again, thank you so much for lending your expertise and thought on this, David, and being such a loyal guest to the Loopcast.
0: Thank you. It's it's always always a pleasure and honor to be a part of the Loopcast. You all do uh, phenomenal work, and Chelsea, I hope that it can continue even while you uh, move into this uh, even busier. Uh, part of your life with your fellowship and your academic work. Many congratulations on all of that, and uh, you know I, I hope you're you're very proud of this great product that you've uh, that you've given to everyone because I know that uh, it's my go-to podcast that I listen to when I drive, and uh, I know that lots of people in the national security field feel the exact same way.
1: Ah, uh, thank you, David, and yes, for you and our listeners, my goal is to do very good time management and keep the loop cast going because. It is a baby of me and everyone who's been involved, so that is the goal.